Welcome to Kidney Talk, a program of Renal Support Network, a show that streams health, happiness, and hope to the kidney community. You can download all Kidney Talk shows from iTunes and find a variety of resources to help you navigate this illness at rsnhope.org. Please welcome your host, Lori Hartwell, who has lived with kidney disease since the age of two. Welcome to the Kidney Talk Podcast. My name is Stacey Hobletzel, and I want to introduce today's accomplished guest. She is a survivor of four kidney transplant in 13 years of dialysis. She founded the Renal Support Network in 1993 to promote the three H's, health, happiness, and hope to those affected by kidney disease. And in 2006, she started this Kidney Talk Podcast that you're listening to right now, aimed at helping those affected by kidney disease. She's also the author of the book, Chronically Happy, Joyful Living in Spite of Chronic Illness, and is an accomplished painter as well. And it is my honor to introduce you to a singular, wonderful, and inspiring individual. Please welcome Ms. Lori Hartwell. Thank you, Stacy. It's interesting to be on the other side of the interview. Yeah, you're usually the host of this podcast, and now we're kind of turning things around. I, I am so excited because, I, I mean, it's 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 and, and you're so incredible at that introduction. Now I'm like, oh, my God, I could have done a lot better in the last <laughs> 14 years, 15 years. Uh, <laughs> but uh, thank you. It's, it's nice to offer this service to people who have kidney disease because it can be trying at times, as we all know. Most definitely. And you have had a long lifetime history with chronic kidney disease. So let's travel back in time to the beginning when your life began to journey kind of down a road less travel. What did you and your family discover when you were just two years old? I'm reminded by the stories that were told because I don't really remember at two years old. But I just got like the flu and I just swelled up. And we lived in Las Vegas at the time and it was back in 68. So healthcare was a little bit primitive back then. And they ended up uh, taking me to Children's Hospital in Los Angeles, and it was determined that, you know, I had complete kidney failure. And they had just uh, started a pediatric dialysis program there, which, you know, lucky for me, right? And they ended up putting a Scribner shunt in my right leg, which was a brand new thing. It all started in the 60s here. And they put me on, get this, the Keel Dialyzer. Uh, named after Dr. Fred Keel. <laughs> and I, I always say, why didn't they just name it the Fred Dialyzer? Because why, you know, this big, like, contraption, and I was only like 22 pounds. So uh, uh, I was on dialysis, and after uh, several weeks, um, my kidneys started to kick back in. And Recently, I just had a dinner with my pediatric doctor <laughs> who took care of me when I was two. And he was saying that I was the smallest person he had ever dialyzed. And he's certain I was his first acute kidney injury case. So I had a situation where my kidneys were damaged and it most likely uh, from the E. coli bacteria from meat not properly cooked. And it damaged my kidneys so badly, um, I was able to come off a of dialysis, thank goodness, or I wouldn't have be here today if I had to endure dialysis at age two in 68. And it just caused me to have severely high blood pressure, which it was just off the charts as a child. And uh, my parents, you know, they did the best they could. Uh, my dad uh, was a fireman and my um, mom was a housewife and middle class family that had to go back and forth from Las Vegas to 
children's hospital all the time when my blood pressure would erupt and I would, you know, have an episode, they would say. She's having an episode. <laughs> and uh, so it was it was tough on them, I imagine. So your kidneys were able to recover at that time. When in your life did you notice that you might need an actual kidney transplant? Well, you know, growing up as a child, I mean, I had just outrageous blood pressure. I would take so much blood pressure, I'd go to school and fall asleep and nobody could wake me up. And I never was really aware. I mean, I was just always the kidney girl. I mean, you know, oh, she has kidney problems. And when I uh, turned uh, about nine, I had an episode and then... um Really, they just got really bad, and I started dialysis at age 12. They took out both my kidneys, and there's a whole story behind that, but that'll that's for another show, because my mom decided to move me to Florida, uh, which I probably should have been on dialysis a lot sooner than when I was 12, but my mom and dad had gotten a divorce, and she had like a midlife crisis, and so we went to Florida, and they didn't have any kidney specialists out there. So by the time um, I got back to L.A. when I was 12, I was in, like, congestive heart failure. I was in such bad shape. Uh, So it took them about a year to be able to even get me on the list. So I got a transplant at age 13, and unfortunately, it didn't work. Um, In today's standards, it would have never worked, you know, knowing what you know then. It was 79. So I went back on hemodialysis, and they didn't even have peritoneal back then. <laughs> so I was the first child to go on peritoneal. And it, it really transformed my life because it, it gave me some freedom to feel better. And uh, then I got a second transplant at age 17. And that one worked for about six weeks. <laughs> and it was determined that the kidney came with some other problems, because the other kid that got the other kidney came down with the same thing I had. So they had to remove that kidney. And, and I have to say, at age 17, you know, being told that your second kidney didn't work and you probably will never get enough one is kind of hard to hear. That's very traumatizing at that age. Well, I think there's a benefit for being a kid when you're sick because I, I, I look at it now when I've been diagnosed with things later in life, like you have more self-realization, you have more goals in your life, you have, you've accomplished more, more people depend on you. And when you're a kid, you just are kind of growing up in a pot that's boiling. You don't know that it's getting, you know, worse. You're just kind of acclimate. So um, I just said, oh, well, that's okay. I'll just, just live the life. I, I, I didn't really think about it. I mean, if somebody would have told me that today, that I would never get a third transplant. I think I would be somewhat, you know, a little bit more upset. But I just decided to just live my life with the time I had left. And that's kind of a, that's a very uh, mature approach at that age, too, to look at it that way. Yeah. I mean, you know, I look back at my younger self because I'm 53 now. I've been living with this illness for 51 years. And I'm like, I had to kind of grow up quickly because, um, and I do talk about this, you know, my my mom suffered from alcoholism, and I did a lot of caretaking of her. She was, you know, around, but I was kind of the adult. So when I was growing up, I had to learn how to take care of myself to be able to take care of my mom. And my mom didn't always make the best choices in life, so I had to come 
with this attitude of more of a parent, like even my uh, some of my friends and some of my distant family members, like you were always the parent, Lori. And maybe that served me that I just couldn't think about myself. I had to think about taking care of my dog and my mom. And that that's crazy, but it's kind of the truth. <laughs> um, growing up, uh, my mom, um, when I was on peritoneal dialysis, we didn't ever have any money. And, you know, she would uh, either clean houses or bartend. And, you know, she would bring her friends over and they would like to play poker. And I'm like, oh, wow, it is so easy to take money from drunk people, <laughs> like when they're drinking. And she would bring all her friends over and I would end up winning all the money. And I was very much into business. So I would like, like, no, I'm not. I'll give you a loan. <laughs> I guess I was like a loan shark at 14. But um, I had to be very creative. And my mom, you know, sh sh alcoholism is the worst illness ever. Uh, I've seen a lot of my family members suffer from it. And I have to say, I, I was kind of grateful to have kidney disease. In kind of an indirect way, because it prepared you for all these other events taking place throughout your life. Well, and it's interesting because with alcoholism... And, and I studied this. It's like they need their brain to make them get better. I mean, you know, and the brain's not working sometimes. That's really if you study about alcoholism. It's like a chemical dependency. And I had a kidney problem, but I could use my brain to help me get better. <laughs> it, it's kind of weird, but I felt grateful because I would see my mom, you know, want to stay sober. And then she couldn't. And how she would feel so disappointed in herself. And and I saw this with a lot of family members. So, yeah, it, it did make me grow up quickly and take responsibility. And I think also um, as a child growing up, when you're told you're not going to live that long, you know, I mean, you kind of hear that. You kind of just don't listen to anybody anymore when you when you beat those odds. So growing up, how often were you told by medical personnel that you had an actual limit to your lifetime. Well, because they, that seems they didn't ridiculous. actually. They didn't actually say that. Um, maybe some other healthcare specialties, but you know, when you see a, you know, pretty much all your friends pass away, <laughs> and you see people's faces when you know you're running out of vascular accesses, and when at the time, um, and I think it's one of the reasons I created RSN was because I ended up meeting a girl one time when I had a blood transfusion and she was on dialysis and she had gotten a transplant and she was just a few years older than me and cool. You know, she was, uh, you know, she had a lot of things that I felt that I wanted. And it was like the first time I'd ever met somebody with kidney disease that had a life <laughs> and was doing things and and I had a life I was doing things but I didn't always get to see that in my peers and that really helped me because when you have an illness and you go see other doctors even today oh you have oh you're on dialysis I mean there's still a stigma attached Most and definitely, yeah. and you know I was on dialysis from age 12 to 24 uh, and I got a transplant when I was 24, my third one. But they, you know, we had the AIDS epidemic going on. I was getting, you know, two units of blood every six weeks. And there were so many things that they just, 
um, the healthcare professionals would say, wow, you're I can't believe you're doing so well. Like it, it was almost comical, like you're making it, you're doing well. And and it's not just the healthcare professionals. I'd also say the school system. Uh, I would go to school. I, I never really went to school. Uh, a full disclosure here for everybody. I have a high school education, but I would be homeschooled because I would miss so much school because of my sickness. Then they would send me a home teacher. And then the home teacher felt sorry for me because I had to do dialysis. Sometimes she would take me shopping, and which is very good for math skills, by the way. <laughs> oh, yeah. Obviously. So um, I didn't get a traditional education. Like most people, you know, I, I never went to high school. I, I went a couple of times and then they sent me home because I missed school. And they're like, oh, we're just going to keep you in homeschool for the rest of the year. So I didn't have a traditional school uh, or high school experience. I don't actually know anybody from high school or junior high. That seems kind of having sad. that kind of. <laughs> Maybe I was lucky. Maybe people like you were so lucky you didn't do it. <laughs> Well, if you think about it, you, you look at your life to that point, okay? And you've had, you haven't had a straightforward, you know, okay, now I'm going to go to elementary, elementary school, now middle school, now high school, and then da 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 da. And your, your education maybe is all over the place a little bit, but you have so many different things going on, all these different variables in your life, it's really preparing you to, deal with anything, wouldn't you think, after all these different experiences as you get yes. older? When yes. things come along in your life, you're prepared for them. They're not, say, if something like that came along in someone else's life, it might be, that might take more of a toll and just be more of a shock. But with you and what you've been through, oh, my goodness, something comes along, okay, let me yes. look at it. Here's no. how I'm going to take care of it. We were in triage all the time in my family. With my mom, and unfortunately, you know, she just made, she had a bad picker when it came to men. Let's just put it as she's, she's passed away a couple of years ago, and I loved her dearly. She just made some really bad choices, and we were always picking up the pieces from that. It was, it was, uh, um, you know, the alcoholism and addiction um, brings a lot of other problems with it. So when I was 19, um, and I was on dialysis. I made a, I had, a, I was on peritoneal dialysis. I made a decision to kind of break off from her and not take her, take care of her anymore. And I moved into this. Um, it was a friend of the family, but I lived in a, a gentleman's living room for six months with my dog and dialysis machine. And I had to just kind of let her go because of her decisions, and that's when I really started to focus on myself and I got a job at a flower shop and I pursued all these different things and, you know, was in sales and worked for Disney and had all these wonderful careers that really prepared me to be the leader of RSN. Like people like, did you, did you, I, I didn't plan RSN it planned me. I mean, it really did. I didn't, I didn't plan this, but it obviously is what I'm supposed to do. Oh, most definitely. You're, you're doing a fantastic wonderful and very beneficial work to people who've been affected by chronic kidney disease. rsnhope.org is a great resource for anybody who's first starting, or maybe you just have some other aspects of your medical life that you need help with. I mean, just go going through the podcast list at rsnhope.org, Lori, you cover all these different, you know, you think, okay, this podcast is just going to concentrate on, you know, the medical side. 
there are so many other different stories that that deal with, you know, maybe you're starting to become a patient. Okay, how do you keep yourself safe? Okay, how how do you deal with the emotions? It is all there. You've been doing this since 2006, and there's a tremendous amount of podcasting to be very beneficial to anybody suffering from really any chronic illness. Well, and you know what's really interesting, Stacey, that you say that because uh, not having a traditional education, I had to go out and seek education. And, you know, the little secret about education is, is everything is figure outable. You can figure out anything. And that really empowered me once I did my own dialysis. And, you know, then I got my transplant at 24. And I had this, uh, I was working in sales and marketing. And uh, I had a boss that said to me one time, you know, Laura, your work really defines you. What do you want to do when you get older? And believe it or not, that is the first time somebody had asked me that question. What do you want to do when you get older? Because, you know, when they see you being a a sick child growing up and people just don't ask you about your future, they don't think you're going to have one. And so I said, you know, I had my third transplant. It was working well. And I was ready to go on to my next challenge. And I thought, you know, I want to work in the kidney world someday. I think I want to do that. I Maybe, you know, because I had helped develop products being a patient, you know, it was in the, in the uh, beginning stages of kidney disease. And I ended up going to a, a healthcare meeting and I was hired that weekend. <laughs> it was so funny. It was like I was hired that weekend and I was given the thing that I wanted most which was health insurance, <laughs> because yeah, uh, um, you know, my when it comes to a new career, when you get when you get healthcare um, from a company that's stable, that's wonderful. Because my Medicare was running out after three years of my transplant, so I had to figure out how to you know find something that I would love to do and stay there. So uh, that was my journey, and you know, kind of coming into the kidney world as a professional. And, uh, uh, you know, sold a lot of medical products and did a lot of different things and spoke all over and was really exciting because I became an editor of a professional journal in the late 90s. It was a doctor's journal and a patient's journal. And I got to call up anybody and, you know, say, hey, will you do a story or can I interview you? And I think I'm bringing that today because that's how I learn. When I see something that I want to learn, I go find the expert or find the video and then ask them so then I can then have the information. And I think everybody needs to do that. Don't re- don't wait for somebody to teach you. Go grab the education yourself. Yeah, and it's interesting to see how, you know, you just you realize at one point, I want to take everything I've learned in my life, everything I've experienced, not only pass it on, but seek more information and have this great resource online. And you also, with that organization, you put on so many different events throughout the year. Do you have any events you look forward to every year or ones that are really, really special that you can't wait to arrive throughout uh, the 12-month calendar? Well, you know, it's interesting you say that because I've done some reflection of, you know, what is RSN about? And I grew up with kidney care professionals around me all the time. I even had more renal care professionals at my wedding than my own family. And when I started RSN in 1993, 
I think I was doing it to create my own family. Now that I'm looking back and I'm 53, I'm like, so here I am in my mid-20s and I decided to create an organization and a lot of other things, but I think I created it because I, I really felt my peers had two things. One was that they were dying of loneliness, so one friend can make a difference. That was one of my mottos. And then the second thing was an illness is too demanding when you don't have hope. Everybody needs hope. Because if you don't think you have a, a future, you're probably right. So, and I think this was off of my own experience of, you know, feeling very isolated alone at times. And then sometimes just not having hope that things would get better. And then I would find the courage or the story or the person like meeting my friend Gloria. But the one thing I really look forward to every year is, uh, is I throw a prom every year for all the teenagers with kidney disease. And um, I'm throwing my 21st prom. It'll be uh, in January of 2020. 21 years. So I can now say I'm a prom queen. <laughs> I am a prom queen. 20 years gives me the right to call myself a prom queen, right? You know, I was going to mention that to you, Lori. You seem like a I'm a like little a bit of a diva. Queen. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and you know what? Quite frankly, there's nothing wrong with that. There's nothing wrong with it, but... You know, why did I create this prom? You know, because, you know, when you get into your 50s, you start asking why a little bit more about. Um, and I read this one one book somewhere that said, you know, by the time you're 15, you know, you are who you are and you spend the rest of your life figuring out who you are. <laughs> and so, um, you know, I didn't go to school. I didn't go to proms. I didn't go to anything. And I'm like, well, I don't want my peers to miss this coming of age event. So I'll throw them a prom. And I think I was giving people what I didn't have and what I felt they needed. And I, I think I'm right because it's been going on for 21 years. And I wanted them to meet each other. I wanted the teens to meet each other and make friendships that would last a lifetime because we're so lucky now with social media. But in the 80s and 90s, you didn't get to meet your peers very easily. It was very, very hard to meet somebody. Oh, yeah. Um, you didn't meet a lot. Unless you were in the hospital with them, you didn't meet a lot of patients ever once you're out of the hospital, really. Yeah, you didn't have an opportunity. And it's, you know, I don't know about you, but I didn't look my best or feel my best in the hospital because I'm like, let's go grab a Starbucks and chat about the world. You're you're not in that space. You're not in that mind frame. And, uh, and so in the late 90s, I thought, you know, I want to connect to my peers who are younger. And, you know, we were like, throw an education meeting. And I'm like, oh, yes, they're going to want to come out and learn about phosphorus. Uh, and I'm like, no, no, younger people want to meet each other and they're going to help each other get through this because I refer back to my friend Gloria, who is who's now passed. But I met her at a blood transfusion and she got me through some of the most difficult years of my life in my early 20s. And as you're trying to date and trying to body image and all the things that are going on and. Uh, you know, a, be a best friend is better than a therapist. I, I could tell you that. So if you have a good friend, talk to them. And then if that doesn't work out, call a therapist. <laughs> yeah, I can. I can. I got lucky in college. My when I transferred to Long Beach in 1990, I met basically the whole cliche phrase is brother from another mother. Yes. And next year we're going to celebrate our 30th anniversary being friends. And one of the great things about him is he would call and. Just out of the blue, you know, every once in a while to check up on me and it would give me a chance to get, like you're talking about, have someone there 
to share all this with, to support you, and to offer positive feedback as your friend and someone that cares about you so you can continue forward. So I think with you and your, your friend Gloria and me with my friend Ted, you know, you've got to have at least that one strong person who you can rely on as you go through all this and and continue that friendship and 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 just make history with them. And it really does help to have that special person. It's, you know, one friend makes a difference. And I'm a little upset about social media because social media isn't, you know, you have a bunch of friends and some of them you may see, but nothing duplicates picking up the phone and talking to people. And I... I really dislike it when somebody sends me a text and says, how are you doing? And I'm like, the thumbs up. That's what I give them back. Because if you really want to know how somebody's doing, pick up the phone and talk to them. Because that's what I feel people need. You don't need to text back and forth for days that could take (laughs) a 20-minute conversation, you know? And uh, it's really important. And I'm lucky that people reached out to me during difficult times, and um, I, I try to do the same. And just uh, sometimes somebody telling me, you know, everything's going to be okay. My, I've been married now for um, since 1997 to a wonderful man, uh, Dean. And, you know, he's my best friend, and he tells me all the time, you know, Lori, it's going to get better. It's going to get better. You're going to be okay. Because sometimes I don't think I'm going to be okay, and I need somebody else to tell me that. And it, it helps immensely. So uh, creating the support network of RSN and helping people learn about their illness and and make connections uh, with people that they may actually feel like, oh, we have something in common. We both like fishing. And, and then you start a friendship from that. Now, if you don't mind, I want to segue over. Uh, we're going to go all the way to 2006. There's a very uh, another interesting year, year for you because you published this very positive, informative, very instructive book. It's called... Chronically Happy, Joyful Living in Spite of Chronic Illness. Yes, it's available right now on Amazon. <laughs> and, of course, writing an entire book, it's a monumental accomplishment. Now, what was the original motivation when you started to work on this book? Well, the real title of the book is called Chronically Happy, Damn It, um, because it takes a little anger to be happy. But I think the real motivation was is that in the 90s when I was speaking all over, and, and I have to say anybody who wants to learn how to be an advocate or be involved, really join Toastmasters. I joined Toastmasters in 1993, and it has changed my life. It has taken me places that I never thought I would ever be because I'm able to speak and present. But I started taping stories. I started speaking at meetings and I started taping myself and, and I, uh, it ended up, you know, people like, you should write a book, you should write a book. And I'm like, well, I guess I should write a book. And interestingly enough, my doctor, Dr. Richard Fine, who took care of me as a pediatric patient, said something to me when I was 16 years old, which was the best compliment I'd ever had in my life until that date was that, Lori, someday you're going to write a book. And it was the first time that a healthcare professional said something to me that made me feel like I was going to transcend this illness and do something for others. And I always referred back to that. And it took me about five years to write Chronically Happy. And it's uh, I'm really proud of it. Um, it's still very relevant today. I'm working on a second book. But I wanted to give a guidebook to my peers 
about how to manage all the emotions. I mean, I didn't even understand the emotions until I learned about them. Like it's shock, denial, fear, or anger, depression, grief, and then finally understanding acceptance. And you have to go through those stages. Nobody ever explained those to me. Explain that to me. Like, you know, you're going to have to understand how all these emotions feel a lot. And uh, um, because I don't know about you, Stacy, but I have been so angry at times that I feel like I could catch on fire. Oh, that's... Have, have you ever felt that anger? Like it's, but anger, if it's used positively, if you channel it, you can do great stuff with it. And that's what I had to learn how to do is channel my anger and, you know, learn different techniques. But there are things in your life that, you know, you're so out of control that you you have to learn how to, <laughs> you know, somebody tells you you're not, you know, your second kidney is not going to work and they got to take it out. And you're like, what? <laughs> you know, um, this is not how I want to spend my 17th birthday. You know, I've had a chance to uh, read the book, Lori, and here's, here's what I like. You think, okay, she's going to tell her story chronologically from beginning to end and offer some advice from things she's learned over the years. But what I really like about it is you just offer throughout the entire book bits of what you've been through to start conversations about information you believe is pos- you know, can help people positively regardless of what illness they're going through. And then you also talk to other patients, medical professionals, psychologists, social workers, and, and they offer you know, parts related to what you're talking about. So it, I was really surprised by that format and actually really pleased because you're going – you're giving all this great information, but at the same time, you're keeping your reader interested because you're going from this topic to this, and you're having a professional talk and a patient, and it's all very, very beneficial to people going through a chronic illness. So I applaud you on that format. It really, really kept, uh, really got the information out in a very interesting and original way. Well, and, you know, that's my Toastmasters training because uh, I've picked up a lot of books that are written by people who have an illness, And I'm like, I don't need to read their therapy. (laughs) I mean, there's a certain amount of words that are on the floor that never made it to the book. Because when you write, it's a, you know, it's a process and you deal with a lot of emotions. And you don't need to know about those, (laughs) Stacy, and keep the reader. So I learned that from speaking. And I would give a speech to an audience or even my local Toastmaster group. And I would... I would tape record it and I would understand what when their eyes started to glaze over like, yeah, and I had my third vascular access procedure and it didn't go well. You know, I mean, you can you can bore people to death with your medical history, but really what people want is the point of wisdom. What can I learn from your story that can help me? Because at the end of the day, we're all out about what's in it for me. And I've taken that message through RSN because I've. I, I and I can say this: I'm the only organization that tells everybody's story. I I'll tell anybody's story if it's interesting, and um, you know that's why we decided to do this podcast because I'm like, you know, my story's never been told in the kidney community, so I guess I'm going to have to tell it, you know. Um, and it's because uh, it's it's interesting how um, our stories help each other get through the illness. And I know that has been what's helped me. So my goal is to continue to tell people's story and let them realize that they have a lot to offer to, you know, help educate people because ad- adversity introduces you to yourself. 
Absolutely. And and before we wrap up, I want to get to your latest transplant that you had back in 2011. If you give us kind of a short history of what, what occurred at that time and how you're doing today. You know, I was very, very lucky. When I had my third transplant, I came out of the hospital, for those of you who have kidney transplants, with a 2.2 creatinine. And they said, you will get a few years out of this kidney. And I was also suggested never to have children because the stress of having a child might hurt the kidney because I'm, I'm taller than I look, but I'm only like four foot ten. So I decided to per- pursue a career. But after 20 years, it just started to putter out. And I knew it was coming. My ankles were swelling more. My blood pressure started to go up. I could feel a little bit more fatigue. And so... Um, I was very lucky. I had several people come forward to donate a kidney. And, um, you know, I I talked about my family being a little bit all over the place. Uh, My stepsister, Cindy, who who was my big sister growing up, I I loved her to death. Um, And it's a sordid tale. But uh, when I was 12, I found out my dad wasn't my dad. And um, and it kind of just upset the whole apple cart of the family. Um, that's when I needed a kidney, by the way. So that's kind of a Jerry Springer show. But uh, she had reconnected with me. I had lost contact with her. She had moved and didn't. I didn't have her phone number or her address. And she had contacted me when I was needing a kidney. And um, I was so full of emotion because I, I love her to death. And she um, said, well, I'll give you a kidney. And I'm like, okay, you know, here's the number. We all know the spiel, right? Where here's the number. You can be a potential donor. And um, I had about 10 people come forward. I felt very humbled about that. Like, like, wow. Um, uh, and anyways, it just turned out that she was the one. And we have the same blood type. And um, it went off without a hitch. And she's doing well today, too. And I'm so grateful to her. Uh, for her gift of life, and my creatinine just came back 0. 0.6. Oh, well. I mean, 0. 0.6. My goodness. That's perfect. 0. 0.6, and I called the kidney Lulu because uh, I had to go to the Lou a lot, and um, her middle name is Louise. So uh, the kidney's doing well. I've now lived with this illness. I, I just turned 53 and uh, for 51 years. And, you know, I have some other issues of arthritis and some other things that all the lovely prednisone and stuff does to you over the years. But um, on paper, I look fantastic. <laughs> <laughs> that, that's kind of how you should introduce yourself to new people. Lori Hartwell, I look great on paper. I look great on paper. <laughs> and, uh, and I know. And I was very, very lucky because my grandmother taught me skincare regimens at an early age. So that's very, very helpful when you have to take a lot of transplant meds. Moisturize, ladies. Moisturize. <laughs> that is fantastic advice. And I, I understand what you're talking about being on prednisone for years. Lori, you are a wonderful, tremendous person. And I'm so honored to be able to sit back and take some time and just take a look at your entire life, what you've experienced, what you've learned, and what you're offering throughout your life to other people. It really is very, very inspiring. I can't thank you enough for allowing me to interview you today. Well, and thank you, Stacy. I mean, I really admire you because I think we all just need to keep sharing our stories, and we never know who it will touch. And I hope that people listening to this, you know, I was some... Four foot ten, I would say, four foot ten young girl who had a dream to just be able to make sure that nobody felt alone. And in in return, I've never been alone. And so, by helping others is the secret to happiness. 
if you want to if you want to be happy, you go out and help somebody else. So it's led to me having a very happy life. It's been wonderful talking to you. Thank you so much, Lori. Thanks for listening to Kidney Talk, a program of Renal Support Network. Please make sure to find us on Facebook or sign up for our newsletter at rsnhope.org. Kidney Talk is intended for informational purposes only. It is not intended to be a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment from your physician. Always seek the advice of your own health care provider regarding your medical condition.